Good morning. A lot of the men had the same idea with the winter snow. Put a little bit on our chins here, too. Um, let's go to Matthew chapter 6. And uh, we started a couple weeks ago looking at the topic of prayer, and specifically the Lord's Prayer, which might be better called the model prayer, because he's teaching us to pray in this manner. In this manner prayer. And we talked about how uh, the Lord said to go into your closet, shut the door. Closet just means your own private space, doesn't mean necessarily a closet closet. But the idea was the Greek behind that word that, that's used for closet is storehouse. So he's inviting us to the storehouse. Prayer is a means of going to the storehouse and getting what you need, but collecting the riches that are in the storehouse, the riches of communion with God, friendship with God, fellowship with God, power to get through the times, uh, just being filled with his spirit and being in his presence. This is the storehouse, and this comes through prayer. Comes through prayer, comes through the word, and comes through obedience to the word. So he invites us to come to the storehouse, but sometimes we say prayer looks easier on paper than actually in pro practice. Why? Because sometimes we go into the closet, but we forget to shut the door. So we talked about how Jesus said, shut the door. That means you have to get your mind wired, set, disciplined, and you need to consciously resist these temptations to think about other things. And when they come, and they do come. It's like birds that'll fly over your head. You, can, you can't keep the birds from flying over your head, but you can, you can keep them from building a nest. Amen. You can, you can say, no, I'm not going in that direction. Okay, I caught myself. I'm thinking about this. I'm shutting the door, and I'm trying to stay focused on the Lord. And he says, don't use vain repetitions, teaching us that we shouldn't just go in there and just blurt out the same thing or mindlessly or... or keep repeating certain words and phrases mindlessly, but to speak from the heart and to come to the Lord with a heart. And so the, the model prayer isn't just a vain repetition. That's why uh, I don't say we have to recite this every church service like they do in China. Every church service in China I know of that I've ever been to has closed with the Lord's Prayer. And I'm not saying that's wrong. It's not wrong to recite it in church. We did it a couple weeks ago. We didn't do it today, but we might do it again. Um, but the whole point is that it wasn't given to us to be a prescription for the words we use in prayer, a vain repetition. It was to say, Jesus was saying, in, after this manner, pray. And so we can learn from each petition in this prayer uh, some helps for our own prayer life. And the first petition was, Our Father who is in heaven, hallowed be your name. And, and when we pray in the manner of that, we, we, we get a clue first to come into prayer addressing the Father uh, and to address the Father as a child. We're coming in position as a child, not just as a, a child he's tolerating, but uh, a beloved child that we know we have a Father in heaven. He's a perfect Father. He's got heavenly resources. We have heavenly hope. And so just quieting ourselves, shutting the door in our private storeroom, just, just spending some time on that thought, that meditation, that prayer, Father in heaven, I, that's who I come to. I come to the greatest of all beings who is full of heavenly love for me. And then hallowed be your name, which declares our, our, 
our desire that his name be held in esteem in this world, that his name be honored. He has the name above all names. And when we come into prayer, not just barging in, here I am, Lord, and start, you know, sometimes that's okay. Sometimes your heart is so burdened that you just need to pour out some prayers. And that's totally fine. But sometimes when you have a special quiet time, you need to remember to come in and adjust yourself, get spiritually in tune and say, I'm coming to my father now, address the father and, uh, and understand that you are, you are coming to your heavenly father. That means he's smiling upon you. He's not cursing you from hell. He's told the Pharisees, you are of your father, the devil. The devil doesn't have good plans for us. The heavenly father has good plans for us. And so that gives us hope as we come into prayer. And we desire to see his name hallowed before others. And so the next petition is, plays right off of that. Mark 6, Matthew 6.10 says, Your kingdom come, your will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. So the first line there, your kingdom come, is talking about our priority. Where is our priority in all of this, in our spiritual walk, in our lives our agenda, what is our agenda? And this phrase, your kingdom come, helps us get our agenda in the proper place. In other words, we should put his kingdom first, priority in our lives, in our desires, in our hearts, just as a citizen, we are citizens of his kingdom, just as a citizen might place the, the interest of their country before their own personal interest. It's an allegiance to this kingdom. It is your kingdom come. My needs, yes, I have needs. And yes, I have desires. But they all must come secondary. My primary desire is that your kingdom come. And so when we pray that, we're putting ourselves as a citizen of heaven, pre presenting ourselves as I'm all devoted to you. Sometimes we talk about having devotions. I'm going to have my devotions, my morning devotions and things like that. But more importantly is devotion, that I have a life of devotion, and my devotion is to the King of kings and Lord of lords. My devotion is to your kingdom come, and I want to see your kingdom come before anything else. Now, the good news is, as uh, we're told in John 6, 33, I think we sang about it this morning, seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness and all these things shall be added to you. So you're placing your agenda secondary, but actually when you are placing God's agenda as the primary thing, seek first, primary, his kingdom and his righteousness. If this can be your first business, all these things shall be added to you. So it's actually in your, your first interest as well, if you can see what I'm saying there. You place your agenda second. You place your agenda underneath God's agenda, and yet if you're after God's agenda, he will see to it that your, your needs are met. All these things shall be added to you. And that takes a lot of pressure off of us. And that's a really wonderful verse. Seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things shall be added to you. What are your needs? What are you having to have come, come forward in your life? What provisions do you need? All these will come but place his kingdom first, seek his kingdom first, put yourself in his hands and he'll make sure that everything's okay because he's a good king. He's a heavenly father. He's not gonna let us fall. He's not gonna let us drop. Thank you, Lord. 
And that can cause some thanksgiving. And, you know, we're told in the Psalms to enter his gates with thanksgiving in our hearts. In Colossians uh, chapter 2, I believe it says, continue earnestly in prayer, being vigilant with thanksgiving. So thanksgiving is a part of that. All these petitions in the model prayer or the Lord's prayer can provoke thanksgiving in our hearts. If we shut the door, if we quiet ourselves, if we take time to be sensitive to his spirit and the truths that we, we are presenting to him. So when we say your kingdom come, we're talking about we're making his kingdom our priority. And we're also declaring the reign of Jesus. The reign of Jesus. Here's where it gets political. Well, I don't like to mix politics and church. Sorry, you can't avoid it when you're talking about the kingdom of God. It's political, folks. We are about the reign of a righteous and holy king and the end of the reign of corrupt, worthless leaders. Can I get a witness? Amen, or whatever. I, I mean, we are talking about, we are speaking about changing the affairs of the government from the corrupt and sinful ways of man and bringing everything into the perfect and righteous ways of Jesus Christ. And this is something that uh, is desperately needed. And this is what we are on earth for, to be in advance of this political movement. Now, you know, don't get upset. I keep saying political. I'm talking spiritually, but it does play out. It has to play out in the natural as well. How we live our lives. We want to live our lives. Your kingdom come. We want to be ambassadors of the kingdom. When we were in China, we showed uh, the Jesus film to one of our neighbors. And after we watched the film, she was just amazed. That was the first time she had, you know, understood anything about the gospel. And one of the first things she told us was, oh, if only our leaders in China could follow what Jesus taught, we would have no more problems in this land. Yes, that's what we're talking about. That's the political desire we have, that there would be no more problems. Because to the extent that countries stray away or disobey God's commands or principles, that's where, uh, that, that's the extent that troubles and sorrow develop. You know, I've, I've seen in, even in China where we had lots of missionaries come in and there was a lot of strong church growth at that time and it seemed at that time that, wow, things are getting better here. And then this, this little town that we were in started developing and I say it's because the Christians were there and that there was people you know, advancing God's kingdom that this town was developing. And now I know I'm not naive enough to think that that's the only reason that town was developing. But there is a correlation. I think where, where there is righteousness and where God is exalted, places prosper. Because that's what the kingdom is all about. It's not a prosperity gospel, but the gospel of the kingdom involves prosperity in the ways of God. And, and, and when you do what's right, you don't reap the, the consequences of the sin and corruption. But right now, the world is under a different government. And so when we pray, your kingdom come, it is a threat to the devil. And the devil is the current ruler and governor of the affairs of this earth. Okay. In 2 Corinthians 4, 4, it talks about the God of this age, little g God of this age, has blinded the minds of unbelievers. The devil has authority. The devil has rulership now. And when we uh, say, King, your kingdom come, we are, we are uh, proclaiming an end to that rulership. 
But listen to some of these verses. I gave a few of you some verses to read. Luke 4, verse 6 talks about the authority the devil has here. Luke 4, verse 6. Can you read that? Okay, so the devil was tempting Jesus, say, if you just worship me, I'll give you all this. I have the authority. And isn't it interesting? Jesus didn't say, no, you stole this. This isn't your authority. I mean, he did steal it, but he stole it legally. That's another issue, theological issue. But the point is, is that the devil did have the authority. And he had the kingdoms. They're under his rule. But it's only for a limited time. When we pray, your kingdom come, that's it. When, that, when God's kingdom manifests, the devil's kingdom diminishes or disappears. But right now, he still has authority. Someone read 1 John 5, 19. We know that we are of God, and the whole world lies under the power of the one. The whole world under the sway or the power or the authority of the wicked one. So, you know, you don't have to scratch your head and say, I wonder why things are so bad. It's because we have a horrible sway that we're under. And God has delivered us from his power and authority. We still have to reap some of the results of being in a world where other people are under his authority, but we're not under the sway of him anymore. The world is, but if you've come to Christ, received him as your Lord, been born again, you are under the sway of the Holy One and not the wicked one. Amen. So the last verses I want to mention about this, John 12, 31 and 14, 30. Rod's got that. Okay, there's another amen. He, now, Jesus called him the ruler of this world. And the ruler of this world has nothing in Jesus. And if we are in Jesus, the ruler of this world has nothing in us. The only authority the devil has in the believer is the, the authority the believer gives to the devil. Believing his lies, submitting to his ways, answering to his threats and fears and, and not rebuking and rejecting that, resisting that. Again, Jesus said, shut the door. How many times the devil tries to infiltrate our thoughts, tries to bring us down, tries to tell us we can't do it, we're nothing, and, and you don't deserve, and on and on, you're all alone. The devil has no authority but what you give him. If you start to give in to those things, and, and then you'll start to reap his rule over your life. You'll start to feel down, depressed, and weak, and helpless. That's not what we have under our Heavenly Father, under the sway of the Holy One. We, can, we have to remember, and it's so easy to forget, but we have to go back and say, no, I'm a child of God. I've prayed our Father who is in heaven. I have a Heavenly Father. I don't have to take the beating up of this wicked one who's on a time stamp, who will not last. Your kingdom come, Lord. We're done with this. And the more that we walk in God's kingdom ways, the less power, authority the devil has in our lives and in our atmosphere, in our situation, in where we are bringing God's kingdom. But more about that a little bit later. The kingdom, when we say your kingdom come, is the context for our salvation. 
And this is what I really hope we can get across here. I've tried to get this across a lot, but our context for salvation isn't just believe in Jesus and have your sins forgiven. That's a very important part of it. And our eternal destiny depends on that. We put our faith in Christ, but it's all in the context of a bigger picture. We are not just forgiven, but we're forgiven for a kingdom. When Jesus was here, he preached the gospel of the kingdom. And we have so much greater a hope and a future to be thinking about than just when I die, I'm going to go to heaven and it's all going to be gone. No, all this stuff that we're dealing with here, this corrupt world and all the problems we face and the governments and things like that, it's all pushing us or should be pushing us to look for all of this to work properly and in a blessed situation. I was just thinking this morning, you know, there's things that you're looking for and you can't seem to get thankful for anything around you. You can be thankful for the kingdom. When it comes, it's going to be like waking up from a dream and, and it's all over. It's all done. It's like, oh, no more of this, no more sickness, no more pain, no more worries, no more stress, no more problems. And look, everything's the way it should be. And, and it's not going to change. There's not going to be another election that we have to worry about who's coming next. Amen. <laughs> there is a much bigger picture. Our context for salvation is, as it says in 2 Peter 3.13, a new heavens and new earth wherein righteousness dwells. That new heavens and new earth where righteousness dwells is not going to have the problems that come from sin and corruption. In fact, it's even bigger than that. And we are the first fruits. We are the ambassadors of the kingdom. I used to tell my students in China, you know, we're hiding in these little places hoping no one finds us. But really, we're secret cells. We're secret cells of the kingdom of God. And at that a certain point in time, the Lord Jesus is going to come and we're going to meet him in the air. And we're going to come back with him. And our secret cell is no longer going to be secret. It's going to be manifest. And we are the ones who are ruling and reigning forever with Christ in a perfect situation, a perfect order. And there's going to be even bigger things to this picture. The vision of the kingdom is presented throughout the Old Testament, through the prophets, through the Psalms. And I just wanted to bring out two portions from the Psalms that show you that the kingdom is about all nations. Psalm 22, verse 27 to 28. All the ends of the world shall remember and turn to the Lord, and all the families of the nations shall worship before you for the kingdom is the Lord's and he rules over the nations. Look at all the mess the nations are in in this day and age and look at what the outcome is going to be when the kingdom comes on earth as it is in heaven. All nations will be about the Lord's worship. And then look at Psalm 67, verse 2 to 7. That your way may be known on earth. That's like praying your kingdom come your salvation among all nations. Let the peoples praise you, O God. Let all the peoples praise you. O let the nations be glad and sing for joy, not be worried and wringing their hands and wondering what's next for me. Let the nations be glad, sing for joy, for you shall judge the people righteously and govern the nations on earth. Selah. Let all the peoples praise you, O God. Let all the peoples praise you. Then the earth shall yield her increase God, our own God, shall bless us. God shall bless us, and all the ends of the earth shall fear him. Can you imagine living in this context when all the ends of the earth fear God, and the earth is yielding her increase, and there's no corruption to hinder that increase from being enjoyed by everyone? What a, what a prophecy. What a blessing. 
And, and you'll notice in Psalm 67 here, it says the people are rejoicing. It's not like you're forcing religion down my throat and you're forcing your beliefs on me. You know, that's the wrong picture. We're not trying to force anything on anybody. It says that Jesus will make them willing in the day of his power. And we just are the ambassadors of that now. We are the first fruits because we worship the Lord and we understand that his kingdom is, is a blessing and it yields increase and it brings gladness. And there's going to be a point when I, don't, I can't explain how it all comes together, but as much as things are going down, there are promises here that we just seen that all the nations will fear him. All the ends of the earth shall fear him and all the nations will rejoice and be glad. This is a political thing and it's a good political thing to be a part of and, and we're blessed to be a part of it now. Now, someone else has is, is got this vision of, of this future too. Well, not someone else, it's something else. It's the earth. Look at what it says in Romans 8, verse 19 to 22. For the earnest expectation of the creation eagerly awaits for the revealing of the sons of God. For the creation was subjected to futility, not willingly, but because of him who subjected it in hope. Because the creation itself also will be delivered from the bondage of corruption into the glorious liberty of the children of God. For we know that the whole creation groans and labors with birth pangs together until now. Isn't this amazing? The earth fell under a curse because of man's sin. But when the revealing of the sons of God come and there's man's righteousness through the righteousness of Jesus, when all of this comes together, the earth is going to sigh relief. The earth is, the earth is under all kinds of convulsions, groans and labors and birth pains waiting for us to be revealed, waiting for the church to get its act together, waiting for the Lord to return so that we're changed when he comes and, and everything is the way it should be. But this is the big picture of the kingdom. This is what we're praying, your kingdom come. And it kind of puts us in perspective that we're, it's not all about me. It's not all about you know, what I want. I'm part of a bigger plan, a bigger purpose, a bigger picture, and so are you. And it is an extraordinary picture that even the earth is looking and waiting for you. And that the curse is going to be reversed. A new heavens, a new earth, wherein righteousness dwells. So we pray these things for the kingdom. It sets us in position. First, we're in position as God's child, our father, God's child. But then we position ourselves as his citizens, the citizens of his kingdom. And when people, uh, when I got in taxis in China, they always laughed because I wasn't Chinese and they'd say, what country are you from? And I'd say America, but I always wanted to say, I'm from the kingdom of God because that is my priority. It's not America first, it's not China first. That's one thing we had to teach those Chinese Christians. It's not China first, even though so many people have it ingrained, country first. No, it's the kingdom first, your kingdom come, and your will be done on earth as it is in, in heaven. So your will be done, when we say your will be done, it's like saying, I have the desire that Jesus, you reign. And when we submit to him in any situation, we can bring the reign of Jesus into that situation. It's easy to say God's will is being done when things look like everything's working. What about when things aren't? When you're dealing with hostile people at work, or at school or in the neighborhood, or people who, who persecute you or people who are giving you a hard time unjustly, unfairly, what do you do? Well, I just want to strike them, slap them across one side. 
No, we say, your will be done. Not my will. My will might be to do that. What's, what's the Lord's will? And when we do that, when we do, when we love our enemies, that's how we know the Lord's will. The Lord has revealed his will to us through his word. When we pray for those who use us and bless those who curse us, we are bringing the reign of Jesus into that situation. And it may not be comfortable, and it may hurt, but we are declaring we are part of something bigger, and we can deal with this for the moment. It may hurt, but when you say your will be done, you're saying, you know, my will is secondary. There's things that I want to see happen that I would like to have happen, and just because everything seems right and I can reason it in my, my thinking, it may not be the will of God. I want to make sure I'm following the will of God because that is the way of the blessing of the kingdom. And um, Jesus gave an incredible example for us in the garden. He knew it was God's will for him to go to the cross. And yet in the garden, in Mark 14, verse 36, we see him struggling. He said, Abba, Father, all things are possible for you. Take this cup away from me. Nevertheless, not what I will, but what you will. It would have been easier for him if the cup was taken from him, but he would rather submit to God's will than yield to the flesh. And it was not a, a, a question of if it be your will, God. So a lot of people mistake this passage and say, well, he's saying, if it's possible, take this cup, if it be your will. That's not the point, and that's not the prayers we're supposed to be praying. We don't pray, if it be your will. We go with what he said. We say, your will be done. Not what I will, but what you will. And that's how we have to say, we, we have to have the same holy resolve. It may be easier, it may be more pleasant this way, but... Not what I will, but what you will. And, and going in that painful direction, that, that, uh, that path that he chose to submit to. He so, chose to submit to the spirit and not to the flesh. And because he did, we're all reaping the benefits of it. And he's got the name that's above every other name. He's been exalted to the highest place. If we can accept his will be done and not our will... He will lift us up in due time. Humble yourselves, therefore, under the mighty hand of God, and he will lift you up in due time. And he has promised to have us seated in heavenly places with Jesus Christ. If we can submit and say, not my will, but yours be done, with the same resolve that Jesus said in that garden, we can see greater things, even though at the moment we're having difficulties. I said before, don't pray if it be your will. So many in the church prayed. I've prayed it in the past, but really it's, it's a pointless thing to pray if it be your will. Why? Because God has revealed his will about everything that we need in his word. And it says in 1 John 5, 14, and this is the confidence that we have in him, that if we ask anything according to his will, he hears us. So you don't have to pray if it be your will help me have enough to pay the rent next month if it be your will i mean god's will reveals that he meets our needs he wants to meet our needs he's a heavenly father he you don't have to pray if it be your will you know help me out of this depression or anxiety we already see in the word of god his will is that our joy may be full we don't have to pray if it be your will heal me god has clearly revealed his will is that we be healed 
Jesus said to the leopard, I am leper, I am willing. And he went to the centurion. He said, I will go to the centurion's house. I will go. And the centurion said, you don't have to come. Just say the word. But Jesus never turned anyone away asking for healing. And the same thing with us. That's where we often pray, if it be your will. We have to get convinced that it is God's will. It's not God's will that any sinner perishes. It's his will that they all come to repent. We don't have to pray, if it be your will, save my so-and-so. So you can pray prayers of faith knowing what his will is. How do you know what his will is? By looking at the word. So you say, well, what about if I have a choice I have to make? I have to choose either Cincinnati or Chicago, and it's not revealed in the word God's will for Cincinnati or Chicago. And I would tell you, well, obviously you need to go to Cincinnati because that's the better place. I'm from Cincinnati, those of you who don't know it. But, um, but that's where you don't have, I mean, it's not wrong. You can say if it be your will. But basically what I would say in such a situation is, Lord, I don't know what your will is for this specific thing, but I choose your will. I say your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Your will be done. And then even I can get some help in that decision-making process by the very prayer of your kingdom come. Because... We make decisions based on the kingdom. That could change a lot of our decisions. Someone might say, well, I want to move to Chicago. I'm going to get a better paying job. I need more money. There it is. Boom. But what is the kingdom outlook on that position? Are you going to have a good church there? Is it going to be a good place to raise the kids? Is it going to be a good place for you to grow spiritually? Or are you just going and going to get some good extra money that will solve some financial issues? See, that's where we have to say, yeah, not my will, but I, I just choose God's will. I want God's will, and, and I want to measure the decision according to your kingdom. How is this a kingdom decision? How is this going to affect my place in the kingdom, my growth spiritually in Christ, and my families? So that's how I see it. And if you don't see it, then one of us is wrong. Uh, no, I'm just... So, seeking first the kingdom of God, all these things will be added to you. Finally, on earth as it is in heaven. Again, this is where it gets political, but I say, what is God's will in heaven? Is there sickness in heaven? Is there poverty in heaven? Is there pain, loneliness, anxiety? On earth as it is in heaven. And what's the ultimate of heaven? Heaven is a world of love. It is... That's, I got that from an old sermon, Jonathan Edwards' sermon. A world of love. Heaven, a world of love. Perfect love. And so on earth as it is in heaven, we, we walk in this place of love. The perfect love of God. Perfect love casts out fear. And perfect love came into your life. When, when God came into your life, he deposited something of the kingdom within you. Luke 17, 21 says, Behold, the kingdom of God is within you. And uh, that can mean it's among you, it's in your midst, but it also can mean it was in you. I believe when Jesus came into your life, you received a deposit of the heavenly kingdom. And at that point, the devil lost ground. He lost ground in your life. And as you grow spiritually in the kingdom way, he loses that much more ground. That's why there is spiritual opposition. There are enemy attacks. That's why there's so much distraction and temptations out there and 
all the entertainment to try to keep you away from seeking things spiritual. We have to be on guard and know that the more we give to God, the less the devil has in us. The stronger we become, the more victorious we, we, victory we have now on earth as it is in heaven. And the devil doesn't like that. And he also opposes us because we are a threat to his kingdom as we serve God and do God's will. Because as the, he lost ground with you, you become the presence of the kingdom in your life, in your atmosphere, in your surroundings, in your family, in your work, in your school. Wherever you go, you bring the kingdom as you are being a faithful ambassador of the kingdom. Let's look at Luke 10, verse 8 to 11. Whatever city you enter and they receive you, eat such things as are set before you and heal the sick there. Say to them, the kingdom of God has come near to you. But whatever city you enter and they do not receive you, go out into its streets and say, the very dust of your city which clings to us we wipe off against you. Nevertheless, know this, that the kingdom of God has come near you. What is he saying? He's saying that you bring the kingdom. You, are, you bring the kingdom wherever you go. And the smallest act of kindness is a significant political move. Healing the sick is a significant political move. Turning the other cheek is a significant political move. Giving a cup of cold water to a thirsty one. Treating the server at the restaurant like a human being. Not losing your temper when someone gets the order wrong or something like that. All these things are a way of you bringing the kingdom. And of course, declaring the truth of God. Speaking a word in season. Encouraging one who's down. Showing kindness where someone needs it. This is bringing the kingdom of God into their midst. And the devil doesn't like that because that means the devil loses ground. That's why we have opposition. But God has us here for a reason. That's the context of our salvation, that we are ambassadors of his kingdom. And we show our allegiance as we pray, thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. And the beautiful thing about it, as I hinted at earlier, is that when this kingdom finally does, first of all, where we bring the kingdom, things do get better. And you change lives. That's the whole beauty and fun of serving God and working with him for this time and season. And we were talking earlier about how America's probably way past its returning point. And that doesn't, that's a sad, sad thought, but it doesn't have to be a doom and gloom thought because we're here for a purpose and that we don't, we're not dependent upon America's turning back. I'd love to see America turn back and be right again, but it's not dependent upon that. It's dependent upon us being the ambassadors and bringing the kingdom and holding the ground and seeing God move in spite of the darkness out there and reaping those spiritual, significant political uh, advances for what's to come. Wow, I hope I got that out right. I was, I don't know if it did or not, but that's what it is. And when Jesus returns and when everything is finished, it, like I said, waking up from a bad dream. But it's just everything is going to be right. You know, we're so agitated about what's wrong. We're so irritated, frustrated, and we struggle because we live in a fallen uh, world. And I got a wonderful revelation about this. Once we were coming back from China, 
And the one time, one time, we got a free layover in Hawaii. And it was so wonderful. And at the time, I didn't know we could only get that one layover. I said, we're going to do this every time we come back. We're going to stop in Hawaii, but it only worked out once. But uh, one time, and it was after we had been in China, I think maybe it might have been the first two years, or we had been there for a two-year stretch, very new, and, uh, and uh, we were in this hotel. I had something I had to mail. It was very time-oriented, so I had to get it out quickly. And so I had to, like the first day back, I had to wake up early and try to find a stamp to buy to, and mail this letter quickly. And I just got anxious and, and and you say well that's just a simple task to me that was a very difficult task because I'd been two years in China first of all I was jet lagged so everything's difficult when you're out of whack physically but for two years in China I've been struggling to adapt to a different culture and I was just learning Chinese and so people could not understand me when I spoke Chinese I'd always hear them go, huh, what? And I'd have to repeat myself. And then I, every time I had something I had to accomplish in Chinese, I had to rehearse it in my head. And so I'm thinking, how do I say this? I gotta say this, and then I, I go and do it. So I'm thinking, I gotta go see if I can get a stamp. And I'm walking to the little shop in the hotel in my head saying, how am I gonna say uh, this? How am I gonna, what's the word for stamp? And, all? and then I thought, wait a second. I'm in America. They, they understand English. Okay, so I thought, oh, okay. So then I went to the cashier. I said, can I get stamps here? And immediately I thought, she's going to say, what? I don't understand you. And she understood me right away. And I thought, well, that was easy. And she said, yeah, there's a stamp machine around the corner, but you need correct change to, to get the stamp. And then I turned white and pale again because in China I was so used to the problem of getting correct change. If you had big bills, it was very difficult to get correct change. You couldn't just go buy a soda somewhere and get change for your 20. You had to actually go to the bank, and, they, and the person who made the change had to be there at the right time. And I just thought, oh. And so I thought, oh, no. I'm, you know, I only have bills here. And so I told the cashier, I, well, I've got this, this bill. Can I get change? And she said, sure, no problem. I was like, oh, <laughs> that's so wonderful. And so she says it's just around the corner. Well, in China, when someone said it was just around the corner, I thought, it's not around the corner. But I walked around the corner, and just like she said, it was just around the corner. And I put my coin in that machine, and I thought it was not going to give me anything and break. But it just came out just the way everything was supposed to happen. And, and then uh, I just thought, this is so nice. I, this was not any problem at all, and it was such a big deal to me. And the Lord kind of spoke to my heart and said, because you're in your own culture now, and you know how to deal, and it's, it's what you're adjusted to. In a different culture, I got to readjust. I got to deal with things that, I, that aren't the way I'm, I'm wired for. And he said, the kingdom of God is going to be even better than this because you're wired for things of the kingdom, but you have to deal where you are right now in a world that's not that culture. But man, when Jesus returns and we are there, gone is the stress, gone is the anxiety, gone is the need to get change, and gone is the need to... to stew over what, how am I going to get this done? We are going to have everything wherein righteousness dwells 
a new heavens, new earth, wherein righteousness dwells. And all this that we're dealing with now will be past. But we'll all look back on it and say, wasn't that amazing how much the Lord was preserving us and all that and what the Lord was showing us and the things that he did in spite of all these things? We need to open our eyes to the kingdom context to really get fueled for what's ahead because we have significant purpose here and it's to be the ambassadors. And so we pray, our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. We've been positioned with God as his child, our Father, and now we are partnering with him in his government endeavor. We are partnering with him and we are praying, we are doing business. We are doing government business when we pray and his government is the one that counts. The government shall be upon his shoulders and we will be there with him. So as we go through the rest of this, I've got some more P words for you, but the first one is we're children of God. We are positioned as his child. And for your kingdom come, we are partnering. Now you can go through the rest of them and think, what other P word is he going to assign to the next petitions. It's pretty easy, really. You'll probably get the same ones, but you can, you can look for that in the next time. So let's spend a few minutes then as uh, we finish up with our song. As we did the last time, I'm going to ask you just put some of this into practice right now. Spend a few minutes praying your kingdom come, getting the Lord's agenda first and foremost in your heart maybe bringing your situation to him and saying, your, your will be done. And uh, just spend a moment and come to him and say, Father, I'm your child, and then your kingdom come in your situation, whatever it might be. But let's just spend a few minutes looking to him quietly.